0: Something interesting happened in the world of insurance in 2020. Advisors told us they'd been more engaged in conversations about health and life cover than ever before. The pandemic started to encourage people to think seriously about their own mortality in a way they'd not thought or perhaps wanted to think about before. Take, for example, a recent survey from one funeral director who found the rising number of people aged between 18 to 24 had now been considering life insurance as a direct result of COVID-19. But then again, other figures from AIG Life say that 2021 saw quite a steep decline in search trends across the overall life insurance category compared to 2019, 2020, which were more bumpy. So, has the market gone down overall? Did people buy in 2020 and maybe they're holding back now? Or are people truly seeing the value of protection? And how can advisors capitalize on some of that interest that has been generated as a result to encourage clients and potential clients to consider taking out important health and life cover? Joining me, Simni Kuriaku, Senior Editor of FT Advisor, to talk about these things today are Sue Helmont, Marketing Director for AIG Life, Catherine Knowles, Co-Founder of Cura Financial Services, and Tom Connor, Director for Drewbree. Welcome all. Catherine, can I start with you? How is 2022 shaping up in terms of protection conversations with clients?
1: Um, Incredibly busy. Very, very busy. Um, That's in terms of people who are coming to us directly. So just generally people in the public who are wanting to get some information um, about what potentially might they be able to get. And then also uh, for us as a a company, we're seeing a really big increase as well in terms of the amount of other advisors um, in the UK who are wanting to maybe use our services. And I know that we have a very, very niche kind of market that we work in. Obviously, we work to help people who may be not finding getting insurance as easy as possible. Um, and so obviously we do get a really big mix of people who are kind of introducing clients to us and that ranges from people who are obviously they're very aware of the need for protection but they've reached a point where they can't access certain things due to just generally what they have access to in terms of their panel of insurers and providers and then on the other side of things more and more people are trying to get that conversation out there so advisors potentially in the protection space potentially in other areas of finance that have not really seen protection as something that is particularly key um, in a client's kind of financial security. They're starting to see just how important it is now. So it's, it's really starting to build
0: up. Mm. That's very interesting, Catherine. You've got that um, double sort of whammy there of sort of more sort of professional partnerships and introductions from other advisors as well as clients coming to you. Tom, are you sort of seeing something similar at Truebree?
2: Yeah, it's in, it's incredibly busy right now. I mean, January is always usually a busy time. People tend to review their finances during January and that often includes their insurances. So January is super busy, but this, this year feels even busier than normal. Um, I think it's not just sort of new people looking at cover, but it's also existing clients wanting to review their cover. We After, after Christmas, we came back to a, a, a huge amount of client emails wanting to review their cover. And I think one of the, One of the more positive things as well from it is that it it might be, for example, that in the past somebody took out life cover and that was their sole focus and they weren't really interested in discussing income protection, for example, but now they're wanting to review the life cover. Do they have enough? And they're far more open to a more holistic conversation about their protection needs. So not only is it kind of busier in terms of sort of the volume of new business and client, you know, client reviews, but it's also sort of busier in terms of the amount of work per client because Um, You know, those clients are looking at more, you know, more open to a a protection package rather than just one particular type of insurance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sue, is that something that you're seeing at AIG sort of perhaps coming back from Christmas, more emails from from advisors and clients? Well, first of all, can I just say
3: that's great to hear both Catherine and Tom say things are starting well in 2022. Mm -hmm. You know, in prep for today's conversation, I had a look at some data points i had a look at the abi data as well and uh, that showed in 2021 you know the whole market saw saw a downturn um the only real sort of area of positivity in the market seemed to be ip um sales which bucked bucked the general decline and you you referred to it as well simony when i when we looked at um Google Analytics and Google Trends, the search, you know, the search volumes across all life insurance um, terms really went down in 2021 to the extent that they were lower at the end of 2021 than they were at 2020. So, you know, the the, the consumers searching and are interested in insurance products looked like if they were going to buy it, they did it in 2020 uh, and 2021 looked uh, s- sadly depressing. So it's fantastic to come and hear two respected advisors talk about um, how things are picking up. And, of course, consumers' situations have changed in uh, over the last two years. We're coming up to that in March, isn't it? We're coming up to the anniversary of living this way for, for two years. And so many people's circumstances have changed. I suppose, I sh- you know, really in reality, we shouldn't be surprised that people want to review their finances. It's-
0: yeah, and you, you bring up a, a really interesting point. People were very concerned, particularly in 2021, as a lot of the furlough schemes were unwinding. Perhaps people were not feeling a very secure financial situation. Perhaps in 2020, all the support and government support that had, that had been given to employers and to individuals, maybe it felt like people were still able to consider buying life insurance or health and protection insurance. Um, maybe in 2021 people were not coming in quite so frequent, uh, coming with quite a lot of frequency because of, of an economic fear. But if they feel slightly more encouraged in 2022, maybe they've still got their jobs, maybe they've got a new job. Again, we've got to look at things in the overall economic context, haven't we?
2: I think there are, um, I think, I think that the circumstances changes is, is quite a big one. Um, we're sort of seeing quite a, quite a lot of um, clients that maybe. You know, had babies quite recently. You know, they got pregnant during lockdown and had they've had babies, and now they're looking um, at reviewing the cover or taking out cover. Lots of people who, who made who were made redundant, but then started a business, and now that business is a little bit more stable in terms of income, and they're looking at replacing their benefits. Um, people changing jobs as well. You know, a lot, there's a lot of movement in the the jobs market at, at the moment. Um, so I think that circumstances changes has, has had a has had a big impact.
0: Mm. Now, now, Sue, if I can come back to you, you also mentioned in doing some of that research that there were some green shoots, um, encouragingly among younger people and uh, among women. Could you talk a little bit more about that, please?
3: Yes. Yeah, I was pleased to see those green shoots because you sort of think, oh, right. So nobody's searching for any protection insurance terms. Um this doesn't look good, but it does look like that mostly the younger females are where the green shoots are. So we had a look at some of our own website data. And by far, the biggest increase in users visiting our own website is in the 18 to 24 um, age bracket. And that's up 59 percent in 2021 and then compared to 2020 reductions in um, the 55 to 64 age bracket and the 65 plus age bracket down as far as you know 11 11% down so that's where the the big increases uh, look like in terms of searching which makes you think you know and you can hypothesize to the, your heart's content here there's there's nothing factual um about the the data point well the the data points are factual but you know the hypothesis that i'm drawing from it is is it that the younger women are driving the uh, younger protection need and if we sort of couple that up with other searches we can see that um, search terms are also employee is another big rising trend in Google, google trends in terms of search terms so know put the two together and come up with five maybe it's you could the increasing workforce numbers predominantly be amongst the younger workers um and you know that accompany that increase in the 18 to 24 category it'd be certainly be fantastic if we saw that level of interest in that age group i mean typically that is not the age group where the protection industry has its has its heartland client base so um if if more people have come to be concerned about protection and those people are, are a younger age group, women thinking about protecting themselves um, and considering, you know, whether or not that's some perhaps uh, some of the added benefits that they get with protection as well, if that's appealing to them and uh, and attracting them, then that, that'll be a plus point for the industry as a whole.
0: Yes, of course. And that also might touch on the, the points that sort of Tom and Catherine has made, and, and Tom particularly, that um, a lot of people having babies in lockdown, maybe, again, this is younger women ah, who course. have had... I mean, again, it's like putting two and two together and making five, but, you know, it could just be two plus two plus two plus two, add in yeah. But Catherine, I, I saw you you nodding there. Are you seeing quite a range of mothers coming to you looking for income protection, apart from myself, of course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I think there's a really big mix. So again, because I we have such niche clients, we've never seen any kind of thing where it's been a case of, oh, the majority of our clients are this age. It's always been a complete range because obviously we do help people with lots of risks and the risks can be there at any point in anybody's life. And um, I think that the big thing that we're seeing in the change is so obviously... With insurance, it's usually it is something that still generally needs to be sold. It's something that's usually that comes from a trigger of some sort. And that trigger could be having a baby, it could be getting a mortgage, things like that. And I think we're kind of again, you have to take into the whole kind of the, the the entire economy and what's happening. So in terms of life insurance and that kind of trigger. It's probably quite natural that we're going to see a lot of people more in their 30s that are going to be looking at that because a lot of people aren't getting mortgages younger than that anymore. But I think, and the thing for me is, I'm thinking kind of of nephews and nieces that I have as well who are maybe in that kind of age range and people who work for me. And a huge part of them, and I think generally in that generation, is job satisfaction. And everything in their life is about they want to work somewhere that they feel fulfilled rather than just turning up and having a job. They want to, you know, they're very eco-conscious. They want to know that the companies that they're working with are very environmentally friendly a lot of the time. And I think that kind of all comes into this kind of mindset of wanting to make sure that they're happy and content. And then that naturally flows into, well, actually, this, you know, being this way, I need to make sure that I am looking after myself. And part of that is the income protection side of things and i think the fact that we've had such huge drives as well in the pension space is naturally kind of making people think i know it's taking a while but i think there is starting to be that mindset shift to sort of go actually financial futures are really important my pensions are kind of like being there and done for me but is there something else i can do and we just keep hearing these whispers and i think it's that kind of lots of whispers around eventually do make brilliant change
0: yeah, whispers making change. Tom, I'm, I'm going to come back to you because Catherine said something quite interesting um, that the, the, the mantra may not have changed. You know, that old mantra, uh, that insurance is sold and not bought. Um, from your experience and, and given the experience you guys have had in sort of January already with people coming to you wanting to renew or coming to you wanting to review, um, is, is that still the case? Do you think the pandemic might have created a mind? set shift among some clients?
2: I, th- I, think, I think historically it definitely was sold and it needed to be sold um, but I think now that's softened a little bit. But um, go back to the, the point on you know, potentially more younger clients looking at protection. Something that we found is that um, potentially a lot of those younger clients don't necessarily have the same sit pay entitlements that maybe their old older colleagues do And they've been, um, you know, whether they've had COVID or they've had to isolate because they've been in contact with somebody that's had COVID and they've realised, oh, I've only got statutory sick pay. Is there anything that I can do about that? And so we, you know, we've had a lot of clients that, you know, that have come through the, of the younger generation looking at income protection um, because they've had that first-hand experience of only getting statutory sick pay. So you know, if you take sort of examples like that, you know, those clients are already bought into the idea of having cover, and they don't necessarily need to be sold so much. Um, and I think more, more generally with existing clients wanting to, to review their cover, you know, they've already bought into protection to a certain extent and now they're looking to buy in more. So um, I, I, I think that, yeah, there's always going to be the, the, the element there where protection is sold, but I think that has softened quite considerably.
0: Yeah. Uh, Sue, can I come to you? Is it AIG's experience that um, insurance is very much something that is being sold by advisors, or are you seeing perhaps people – being proactive and looking for it? Well, hey, we're um,
3: we're entirely a uh, B2B um, provider. So all of our um, relationships are with the advisor community in the individual and, and the group market. Um, but I was thinking and just reflecting as Tom was speaking there around, wouldn't it, it would just would be great if uh, we start to see a younger demographic um, and thinking about what we might have to, you know, how that younger demographic really operates um because you know we we're not quick to change in our our marketplace um and if i think about my own organization i can talk about us you know we we still take premiums by monthly by direct debit um and you know that that's a younger segment of audience you know we're all and we are used to being able to pay by, you know, Google, Apple Pay, PayPal, um, you know, doing stuff uh, twenty four hours a day, tech savvy. So thinking about some, <laughs> thinking about some of the things that we might have to do differently to respond to those that that interest. And I don't know about you, but I. I I'm terrible. I tend to do, I don't know why I do my shopping at night in bed on my mobile phone, I think, <laughs> oh, I'll, 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 a bit of retail therapy. Um, but of course, you know, I can be on a retail site mm-hmm. and it's popping up telling me that uh, somebody in Aberdeen's uh, already bought this thing. You know, can you, can you imagine a scenario that kind of almost gamification in the protection industry where real time feeds come up and say, you know, it, so-and-so has just had a payout of uh, £30,000 on their income protection, or well, it wouldn't be income protection, but £30,000 on their insurance policy. Mm. You know, that that kind of inter- modern interactions, um, you know, that really lend itself to that 18 to 24-year-old. I'm, maybe I'm just uh, got my head in the clouds there, but things to, things to think not- about on how the industry might change.
0: I mean, those sort of developments are only a couple of, Sort of fintech tweaks away really i mean we're seeing fintech completely take off insure tech i mean five years ago hadn't even heard of the phrase insure tech and now it's all that anyone seems to be talking about how can we use this how can we digitize that what can we do to the client experience how can we make it uh, make a seamless operation between uh, the nhs personal records and and the insurer can we create platforms that speak to each other um, and it's not going to be long before either the likes of Amazon start um, selling life insurance and critical illness cover, um, or you know, promoting using advisors as platforms. You know, using Amazon as a platform to sell their services. I mean, uh, th- those are the sort of developments. Like I, I can see. I mean, Catherine and, and Tom, you're, you're at the sort of the, the cold face of this. I mean, do you sort of see? Do you see it as a danger? Do you see it as a blessing, Catherine?
1: Um, I think it depends. I always think that there is there's a space for everybody um, to do different things. And, you know, absolutely. There's, you know, we see so many different models coming out in terms of advisors. I think with anything, it's just always being very clear about. And and I don't like this kind of approach where we sort of say, well, you shouldn't do that because they're bad because of this way or that way you know there's different routes that everybody works in different ways and you know for some people doing this kind of like the fast kind of poly purchasing that you would be able I assume to be able to get through something like Amazon that would really suit some people and you know ultimately it means they get insurance which is is a really positive thing I mean obviously as an advisor I think it is best to get advice because then you know that you are getting a lot of support. If anything goes wrong, you can go back and say to to your advisor what on earth happened kind of thing. Um, But I do think that, you know, there's definitely a lot of space in this market. I think my immediate concern is obviously for people who do have risky situations. that They maybe wouldn't understand the process as much. That with some approaches, there may end up being some kind of, embedded kind of exclusions and people might end up going somewhere, getting something that's quite fast, possibly, as I say, with exclusions, whereas actually they could get something much better elsewhere. Um, But I think as long as everybody is very open and clear about, right, well, if you go down this route, this is the pros and cons. If you go down this route, you know we've we've got already like the compare the market type situation. We've got non-advised and we've got advised. And I think as long as everybody is very clear and transparent from the start as to how their process works compared to the others, then that can only be of benefit to everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Tom. This this got kind of dichotomy between using technology to the utmost and to its fullest, and that important the importance of transparency and um, sort of getting it right this technical accuracy um, d- do you see that there'll be such incredible tech developments in the industry right now or is it again like as Catherine said do we still very much need that advisor process
2: I think going, going back a step in terms of um, different distribution channels I think that the more you know the more channels there are the more potential awareness there are of the products um, I remember back in um, you know, back when it was the um, all the banks got in trouble with the um, um, PPI insurance you know and they pulled out of, of offering advice on protection um, you know, there was a huge drop in um, you know in sales and you know and demand because the banks were initially stoking those conversations and you know we used to have a lot of people that say oh my banks recommended this to me and they you know they've come to us for, a, for another recommendation so I think I think more discussion is is better I think that tech does in its current form have its limitations especially in around underwriting um you know i think that if you're going to provide a an online advised underwritten process the client's probably got to answer 200 questions you know there, there aren't many people that start that journey and get out the other side of it so i think there's definitely Um, there's definitely scope to um, combine technology and advice. I mean, for example, people can do online quotes on our site, they can buy online, but they can also contact us as well. Um, So I think that the coupling of technology and advice, and I remember, um, I don't know, it's probably eight, nine years ago that people were saying, oh, you know, the the younger generation will just want to buy online. Um, and I think the younger generation also realized the limitations of online and come across computer says no a lot of the time, and were actually quite pleasantly surprised that they could actually speak to a real person rather oh. than you know it, it going through a phone system of press this number, press that number or'll leave a message so I think that um you know, i I think that the 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 need for advice will always be there, and technology can be an enabler
3: yeah, I totally agree have- with that. Yeah, I was going to say, I totally agree with that. The the enablement using um, digital tools um, to engage people in in the protection that they you know they they need, uh, getting people interested, making it easy to engage with the world of protection insurance and ultimately um, I think that there's always a place for for financial advice Mm -hmm. Um, and there is I think you know it's a it's a kind of reasonably well-known truism that uh, you know the more complex complex your own personal circumstances you know you don't trust yourself people I was talking recently about you know protection review about trust in in the protection industry well one of the biggest challenges is that consumers don't trust themselves you know they they don't want to make the wrong decision and therefore talking to somebody making sure that they're you know guided through a process that the insurance that they ultimately buy is what they need um, for their own personal circumstances uh, and to get that valuable advice and feel confident that they've you know, they can trust that they have made the right decision is absolutely uh, key. So, yeah, I agree with Tom and Catherine. There's a place for many different approaches because there are many different people out there, all of whom would benefit from protection insurance.
0: Absolutely. Now, Sue, I'm going to pick on you because you are the... Ah. (laughs) <laughs> there's this whole provider here so obviously you are the voice of every single provider in the whole entire world right now <laughs> um, it's all very well talking about making the consumer journey easier but how should or how can providers help make the advisor journey easier because obviously advisors have to talk to providers and rely on providers systems working with their systems and make sure that they have a seamless low friction interface between advisor and provider
3: Yes, I think you've probably just nailed the uh, nailed it on the head there, Simony, that we do indeed need to make it as frictionless um, as possible in in working with any providers. I think uh, one of the the you know key moments of truth is in terms of the underwriting journey um, and being able to speak directly, perhaps to um, underwriters. Uh, to, to talk to them. I can see Catherine nodding actually. So I'm, I'm going to see how I carefully dodge the question. Catherine, I can see you <laughs> nodding.
1: <laughs> how can we help you? Yes. <laughs> help I mean, obviously, um, the the biggest results that you get as an advisor is if you do have that option to be able to, you know, account managers obviously brilliant and they can do a lot, Um, but being able to speak to underwriters, um, especially, you know, I I do know that I work in a very niche space, but that's where you start to see the real um, benefits coming out for clients. And I think it's it's a mutual thing. It's not just to sort of like say, oh, well, this is just going to benefit an advisor. It really benefits the underwriters, I think, as well, because obviously they're then seeing people rather than seeing the tables that they see, which have the certain decisions and things. Um, as well, I think from from like the advisor point of view, it ends up that in the long run, it's better for the insurer as well, because if if as an advisor, I have a new condition that I've never heard of before, and I can then go to an underwriter and say, what do I need to know? and then the underwriter can turn on and say to me, right, you need to know this, 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 and this, and if they say this, then I'll need to know this offshoot over here. And then we can go back, get all that information from the start. Mm-hmm. Then that means that it's gonna hopefully be much more smooth for everybody involved because you know, in some situations, it could well be that that underwriter then gets that information and says, look, I'm sorry, but we can't offer this to you. So you immediately know, right, okay, there's no point going down a route where we're gonna do an application, we're gonna go for GPRs, I need to find another insurer. Um, and it really, that does make a world of difference. It makes it far more efficient. It obviously saves a lot of resources and lots of different areas of the journey. Um, and I think sometimes as well, in terms of um, things like training, you know, that's a really important area that insurers can help advisors. And I always, I'm, I'm quite keen potentially on um, insurers possibly doing different stages of training as well. So you know, doing a stage or level of training for people who are quite new to the industry, which does explain things like the life insurance, the critical illness, things like that. But then when you start wanting training and you're more of a senior advisor, you don't really want to attend things that just tell you what life insurance is. You know, you want to start getting into really in-depth stuff, you know, maybe some more complicated stuff in terms of the trusts or any kind of IHT planning, or maybe specifically with that insurer, really specifically what makes their product different. And I think in general, I have to say for most companies, when it comes to things like life insurance, it isn't massively different between each insurer. So it does become a case of there's only so, many of those things you can kind of turn up to and attend and learn something new. Um, But Mm -hmm. as with anything, I think it's always that thing of make sure that there's really open conversations. I think with some advisors aren't going to want to massively engage. They're just going to be wanting to go straight through. I just want to get as much, you know, cases through as quickly as possible. But then there are so many firms that I think can bring so much wealth of knowledge to insurers and vice versa, that a real collaborative kind of relationship can be built up.
0: Mm -hmm. Tom, obviously Drewbury is a big company and it has, uh, well, (laughs) compared to some um, small insurance brokers. And you've obviously got a lot of skill, a lot of uh, human resource um, at Drewbury. But do you still find that the same sort of things that Catherine's talking about, that still that need to be able to speak to underwriters, that need that efficiency of service level between uh, advisor and provider?
2: Yeah, I did just firstly I love the Catherine's point on the training. You know, any help that we can get with training, the better. You know, especially if it's new advisors that need a need a lot of training. So, yeah, I really like that point. I I, I just to sort of say one I suppose one point which is my biggest pet peeve in the advisor insurer relationship. And, and, you know, as Catherine mentioned, you know, we need to speak to underwriters. There are, you know, some technology, there's technology out there that can give rough guides. But really, if there's anything in depth, you need to speak to an underwriter. And, you know, we can't be spending 30, 40 minutes on hold waiting to speak to an underwriter. You know, we could have, we, you know, we could be helping clients. So I think that, you know, AIG are normally normally quite good in terms of, you know, answering the parts on the phone. But other insurers answer so good. So it's a real waste of advisor time, spend, you know, spending, you know 20 30 40 you know even sometimes 50 minutes on hold to speak to speak to someone that provider so if there was one thing that I could you know I could change overnight it would be that insurers answer the phone within 10 rings (laughs) that would be that would be that would be perfect we're a long way from that right now
3: yeah 10 rings we should be able to to hit that one so
0: yeah I I hear you pet peeve I've written it down this end (laughs) I mean, obviously, Sue, um, uh, Tom gave a ringing endorsement to, to, to AIG like there, but um, that is a really key point, isn't it? If, if you can make that process between advisor and underwriter easier and quicker and maybe automated in some ways so that you get the answer um, uh, as correct as possible, then it makes it better for the client because then the client's not going to get a nasty surprise either at the point of buying the cover or... Goodness, hopefully they never have to claim, but at the point of claim, you know, as well, you don't want to be hit with a nasty surprise. It just couldn't be brought out in that process because it was too difficult at the beginning. Um, If I can just quickly touch, I'm going to move on to sort of support services, if you can, because we're going to do everything in this podcast. And um, obviously one big change we have seen is the rise of consumers using support services and more people using them during and even now as we come out of the pandemic. Um, can each of you talk a little bit more about this and where you sort of see those developments going? Um, and I think that might actually have to be our last question. Sue, can I start with you, please?
3: Oh, thank you. You're too kind. Um, support services. Um, AIG have been providing all of their customers existing and new With um, the six integrated services provided uh, through the brand Smart Health brand from um, Teladoc, who are the global leader in telehealth. And um, we've just been looking at our figures for the end of the year. We've seen a 200% increase in the usage of those services um, in 21 versus 2020. So we've now, and it's easy to quote statistics, people quote statistics to avoid um, mentioning really low volumes of actuals, but I think we're we're pleased that that means that we've actually helped um, nearly 33,000 people have used the smart health services in the last two years and the increase in that over the last couple of years, as I said, being 200%. So it's very pleasing that means that we're actually able to help customers um, look after their health and well being rather than be there just when they need to make a claim. So, you know, we talk about being there every day not just one day and i think personally i think that that's you know heralds a shift in the protection market um going forward you know we've seen other competitors come in and offer similar types of service Um, and i think that you know it's an interesting development for us in protection as to where that might take us how that might change the model um, going forward, I could quote you lots and lots of stats, but you know, maybe we'll come back to those and I'll, let's hear what Tom and Catherine, um, think of value added services. Tom,
0: over to you.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 those stats a 200% increase really don't surprise, surprise me at all. Um, you know, we, we went through a big process of emailing all of our clients. So they knew exactly what support services that they had with their policy, um, and, you know, a lot of clients aren't necessarily particularly happy with their GP and how long it takes to get appointments. So, you know, the the, the virtual GP services are fantastic and it's a real, um, you know, it's a real way that um, those clients can make use of their policy, but also it's a real a really important factor in terms of when people are looking at cover and whether they take it or not, sometimes that can be the difference between them taking it or, or not taking it. Um, but yeah, we've, we've seen a huge increase in support services. You know, I was speaking to one of our advisors last week, and he said that um, back end of last year, he was aware of 10, 10 different clients of his that were using counselling services. Um, one of them had a life only policy with Royal London and, and got eight, eight counselling sessions. Um, he, was also, he was also talking quite a lot about how maybe some people during lockdown had taken up different activities within the home and ended up injuring themselves in one way or another and, um, and were using physio services. So, you know, I think that um, yeah, there's a lot more awareness and up, up, uptake in these policies. And I think, I think also because, you know, people are aware of the struggles within the NHS. And, um, you know, if there's an option where they can you know, use a service outside of that, then, you know, they're, they're happy to take that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I know about sort of trying exercises at home and uh, let's just let's put it this way. I'm, I'm not going to try any forward roles now to uh, show off to my three-year-old son. I think we, we've crossed that bridge and so has the GP. Um, and Catherine, over to you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so support services, I love them. You know, absolutely love them because it's a way of showing that you know, I think there's always, there's still always a mindset. And I think with anybody, with a lot of, you know, we're very cautious of any organisation. And I think even more so financial services, you know, we start to look at them and think, hang on, they're just wanting money and things like that. They don't actually, you know, I'm not going to get anything back from this. And what's brilliant about support services is the ability to say, well, actually that you are going to be able to get something and and I think as well um I mean obviously AIG have an absolute standout offering in terms of what they they offer I know for me and the team um in terms of during covid um we absolutely were using those support services accessing like the GPS and um, we also did the thing of making sure that we contacted out to all of our clients to say you know what yeah. nobody can see the GP right now, but you have this and I think you know again it comes down to sometimes there's certain choices that I wonder if sometimes people wonder well how much does this actually cost you know what does this really mean and I think I always have an example that stands out in my mind because it, it really does stand out and and when it comes to as an advisor a lot of the time we're kind of trained from our compliance to always make sure that we go for the best contract but the cheapest best contract that we can get you know you don't just go for the expensive one you know that's that's always that's a big no-go and um and especially for me in life insurance, I kind of feel like all the insurers have have really outdone themselves in terms of competing for life insurance. You know, for majority of people, life insurance is incredibly cheap. And ultimately, life insurance is life insurance. There's a very clear definition of when that is or isn't going to pay out. So for that, especially the support services are the real defining factor. And and I had somebody where I had, you know, a couple of well, the the cheapest ones at the time was someone else and then AIG was the second cheapest. Um, But um, it was 30p more a month to get AIG with all of their support services versus the cheapest one. And obviously, as an advisor, what I did is, you know, immediately I'm thinking AIG is the right one here. Um, But obviously, I presented the option and said, right, for this price, you can have this. For this price, you know, for an extra £3.60 a year, yourself, your partner, your kid, can access all of these things and it it wasn't even a thought you know the person was just like standing up for that you know it was just straight away and and I think that's a big thing you know especially from an advisor point of view as well is that sometimes it's not just you know we can get really caught up in that thing of like right let's build the best package let's do this let's do that and there are certain things we should also be looking out for we should be looking out for like the multi-plan discounts that come with certain providers and then as well as that talking about these support services because sometimes it's a tiny little price difference and it can mean such a huge change for people in the long run Indeed.
3: can well, i just
0: I, um go for it sue i saw that you just yeah you uh, were coming
3: there. Well, well, uh, in particular, because that case study is is fabulous. I was uh, walking through PLR's uh, research, consumer research, recently, and their stats uh, said you know, 68 percent of the people that they had consumers that they had researched said they found the value added services appealing. And to your very example, Catherine, fifty percent said they would pay more yeah. as a result. So, you know that that uh, it, you know, it's good to hear the example that actually bears out the the consumer research
0: there you go and i'm sure tom's got loads of case studies too so i, I will just uh, say this, Catherine, tom and sue we will take case studies we love case studies send them to ft advisor we will <laughs> uh, but this is a sort of really example of best practice as well and giving advisors something that as tom's point you know if something has to be sold then these things help it to be sold and help, you know, get the right quality and the right, not just the quality and price, but, you know, the, the, the right quality of, of product for the end consumer. And that's going to be good for everyone, right? <laughs> Keeps us all on a job. <laughs> and on that note, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap up this podcast today. Thank you very much, Sue, Catherine and Tom, for taking the time to talk to us today. And thank you all, too, for listening. Until next time, take care.